0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Henry Graham dedicated to Henry In the year of the primal war, the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and fought. Man was the lord of the earth. Good afternoon. Good evening. This is Alan Averill. Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. This is episode 98. This one is a little bit of a stopgap episode. Um, I recorded it the day after my Ukraine episode, which I'm glad that most of you found very positive. Like I said, Agitators Anonymous is um, a podcast that will continue to grapple some difficult subjects and difficult other musicians. Maybe are clever enough to avoid or maybe not. But it will continue to stand for free speech, inquiry, rationality, and skepticism, etc. But also, as I said, to handle some difficult topics and try and do that um, without fear and to try and do that and see both sides of the argument, or at least set out both sides of the argument. Anyway, Agitators Anonymous, episode 98, is something of a stopgap episode because I decided to take a few days away from the screen, a few days away from all of this for my own sanity. So it will be a discussion about the album The Gathering Wilderness that appeared on my Patreon podcast um, or my Patreon bonus podcasts um, way back last year. Um, Some of you will know this album. Some of you may not It is the album with the coffin ships on it. If you're a Primordial fan, then you might know that song. If you've no idea what I'm talking about, it's something I actually don't say that often on the podcast. I realize is that I am the singer in a band called Primordial. Some people message me and they have no clue about any of the music. They just go, oh, we found your podcast. Um, It was just recommended because we listened to some other shouty, angry, stupid, dumb white guy, um, of which there are tens of thousands who started podcasts because, well, that appears to be what they do. And we kind of liked you. Um, we kind of liked your accent, and we kind of liked your one. And you're a bit objectionable, but sure, we listen anyway. And we don't know anything about the music that you make. Well, The Gathering Wilderness is one of those records. And this is, um, like I said, the Patreon bonus podcast that was about said album. Um, I'm going to read out the tour dates again for next month for the Heathen Crusade to Doomsday which is Primordial Swallow the Sun and Rome. It might be the last tour you ever get to see. Who knows the way the news is going. And I'm going to try and not talk about politics for this um, little introduction if I can. I have to admit it's driving me mad as probably the whole thing is driving you mad. As I said on the last podcast, I just have a feeling that um, the news cycle, the way all of these things interact now with social media, that we're just going to go pedal to the metal from now on in to the grave um, it's going to be we're going to go from one um, emergency to another I think it just suits too many people for society for them, for things not to be like that so if you can find a way to switch off or I don't know as I said before go and find a job in a tiki bar in uh, some South Pacific Island and never turn on a phone ever again good for you anyway so on the 8th of April in Bochum the ninth Derbury rock in Belgium the 10th Birmingham in the UK in the eleventh, London in the UK 12th Colmar France 13th Lyon France 14th Paris France 15th Prattlin in Switzerland not the Czech Republic as I keep saying 16th Mannheim in Germany 17th Dark Easter metal meaning uh, metal meeting metal meaning yes in the 17th 18th um, is in Eindhoven, 19th is Berlin, 20th is in Bremen, 21st is Copenhagen, 22nd is Gothenburg, and 23rd is Stockholm. Um, We would appreciate your support and see you all out there. Um, I will be making a podcast about the tour um, with Mikko from Swallow the Sun and also just discussing what goes into touring. A lot of people keep asking me about the logistics and all that kind of thing, and it is, um, I suppose, something I'm just quite so used to. Uh, but maybe it is fascinating for some people to know how much, um, you know, organization goes into it. How many boxes you have to tick to try and get everyone um, that morning on a whole tour together in a certain place. All of the days booked all their uh, to get all your ducks in a row, as they say, to sound like 1950s dad. But to get all of those things in place. Um, is quite a complicated issue, especially these days when musicians are not professional and all have normal jobs. Um, And of course, at a certain stage, families, responsibilities, all that kind of thing. The days of it being 1983, where um, I think you could see charitable growth financially um, in other ways other than touring is a little bit different. I'm going to do a podcast also about how it is to be a musician now compared to, let's say, 1982 or 1983 because there are huge differences that I think maybe a lot of people don't really realize and they're actually quite interesting well I mean I say that I'm looking at the notes now maybe they're entirely dull and boring and bland but sure you be the arbiter of that decision anyway so this is from my uh, patreon podcast normal service will be resumed next week I have some great guests coming up some really interesting chats um Some, I'm not going to reveal them right now, but um, a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, um, diversity, I suppose, is the right word. Looking into maybe some authors, some more um, different comedians, some um, people involved in TV, this kind of stuff, Um, writing soundtrack music, all sorts of things like this. Blah, blah, blah. But for a few days, I'm going to try and switch off and stay away from the screen for my own sanity and um, here you go the gathering wilderness I thought seeing as I've been asked to do this quite a lot I would discuss at least in audio format the plan was to maybe make a video of it sometime but I'll keep that for my YouTube channel but discuss the gathering wilderness um, to discuss how we wrote it some of the aesthetics some of the things that are maybe a, Unknown about the record um, because it certainly didn't come out exactly as we had planned. So, this is a bonus only discussion about the Gathering Wilderness. The idea was originally, I suppose, on the YouTube channel to get Kiron to discuss it as well, but this is proving a little bit difficult. So, um, this is just a, like I said, a little ramble across the Gathering Wilderness and what it means, what it meant, the time. Um, We made it. Um, It's a strange record because I think that you can put Imrama and Journey's End, well, even though I suppose the demo and Imrama kind of go together, Journey's End kind of stands alone a bit because it was the end of three years, four years after the debut of sort of being in the wilderness looking for a different label. Was the band going to continue or not, getting a new drummer? Um, We didn't really play any gigs. I mean, I think in the year 1997, Promodio played no gigs, I'm pretty sure, or one, maybe. You can put the Burning Season EP and Spirit the Earth to Flame quite neatly together, and Storm Before Calm kind of dovetails with Spirit. But The Gathering Wilderness is a little bit different. Um, We tried to do some different things. It's got, of course, the first time recording for a bigger label, was the first album for Metal Blade, which was a kind of strange decision, I suppose, um, they weren't the only label that showed interest in the band. Um, the previous label Hammer Heart Records kind of collapsed. And so at the time, we had some friends over at Metal Blade and they put together an offer for us. And like I said, there was a few others on the table, but we kind of had the logic. And I'm not sure exactly if the logic is completely sound. But the logic was that, well, there aren't really any other bands that sound like us on Metal Blade. Metal Blade is more of a traditionally, I suppose, thrash, death, traditional heavy metal label. And so, therefore, would we stand out a bit more on a Metal Blade than maybe on a Century Media or a Seasons of Mist? Um, I think, probably in hindsight, we were right. But certainly, it was quite a departure from Metal Blade. There weren't really any bands, I think, of the same kind of ilk or even really black metal bands when you think about it however anyway um, so we moved to Metal Blade and you'll notice of course if you pick up I'm looking at a copy of The Gardening Wilderness now and the big step up in production values for example from this and the awful inlay, and awful layout of Storm Before Calm the poorly pressed pages, you know Gardening Wilderness of course has a completely different aesthetic for the first time ever really the album looked Like how at least I wanted it to look. The inner pages are a bit kind of moody. It has a very dark, very kind of foreboding art aesthetic. Um, And it turned out to have a very claustrophobic, sort of foreboding, stormy kind of sound, even though that wasn't quite how we, um, quite the intention. But it was about maybe 2004, 2003, 2004, we were rehearsing in the old um, room of uh, Abaddon, Incarnate and Gyasa, old Irish bands, which incidentally now I actually return to rehearse with with a new project that I'm working on. Um, it's in north the north side of Dublin. Um, a sort of dreary, dilapidated, or dirty old rehearsal room, as you can imagine, um, heavy with broken amps and the kind of cigarette smoke in the air and old cans and the kind of place you could imagine. Six bands full of... Um, stinking men, rehearsing in this little alcove, this little room. And one of the first songs that we wrote for it, oddly enough, was The Coffin Ships. And there was that moment where Kieran was playing the riff to The Coffin Ships, saying he had this song. And I remember thinking to myself, somehow it reminds me of the picking part in Famous Blue Raincoat of Leonard Cohen. But instantly I knew, oh, this is a big song. This is a big song. And it was one of those things where straight away, I had had this idea for a lyric about the famine, um, but what I didn't want to do was write it in terms of a history lesson. In the year this, and the year that, whatever, this kind of thing happened, and it wasn't really my style. So I'd found you know, this um, with nerve and muscle, heart and brain, this part that's in the middle of this, um, the song. I'd found this on an old headstone, a mass grave down in the south of Ireland, I think in and um, where a grave, from which, um, on the coast, many people had left on board the Coffin ships. Um, And that was my cornerstone of the song. But I wanted to make it sort of human, uh, that kind of humanized the lyrics and, as I said, not make them historical. And um, Kieran really didn't like the singing pattern first. First of all, he was just like, no. And I'll never forget, he said to me, it sounds like a keyboard part from Cradle or from Dimmer And I was like, what are we talking about? And we fought a lot To have it as it kind of is. I'm not sure exactly what he wanted, but he certainly didn't want the singing the way it was originally. Of course, in hindsight, uh, you know, when the album was done, he kind of, you know, agreed, okay, well, that's fair enough. But I remember it being the first song. The song's break came pretty quickly, and it was definitely Mick uh, Michael, um, Michal O'Flynn, as you will see his name. This is the first album that he really plays on he's he's on the picture on Stone Before Calm but didn't really play on the record Kieran played all the guitars and wrote all of the songs and this is the first album where it has his tones his playing his con- his he's contributing riffs for example the gathering wilderness um, i remember being his some of his songs and the, there was a kind of a more of a band effort, five of us together in the room as opposed to four. And you could hear the different tones and different playing styles. And that's something that you hear for the first time on The Gathering Wilderness. And it definitely had a darker, more grown up, more mature feel. And what we learned from Storm Before Cam was that we didn't really like too much this sort of slightly processed modern drum sound. We wanted to go a bit backwards. And at the time, we were really, really big fans of um, High on Fire, Surrounded by Thieves. Um, and I think the album Blessed, uh, not Blessed Black Wings, but Behind Fire, Surrounded by Thieves, this second time Fire album. And also, um, you know, we had. Um, we were also very big fans of those early um, Neurosis albums like um, Souls at Zero, Times at Grace. And I think that we'd been quite influenced by this sort of scene a little bit, or at least the sort of dynamic tone. Um, which we thought, wow, this could be applied to some of our music, take some of the European black metal kind of influence, but this American tone. And Billy Anderson, the engineer, was sort of synonymous with that. And through a mutual friend, I got in contact with him. He was going to play, I think, the bass in the Melvins for a while after the um, recording in Dublin. And it it just worked out that um, we got Billy Anderson, who'd made Sleep and all these other records, to come to Dublin to make a primordial record, essentially a a, a sort of pagan black metal record, which for him was kind of new territory and for us it was new territory. And in in reality, a whole lot of things were quite daring about that record. It was quite a different idea for a sort of pagan black metal band, so so to say, to reach for this American producer and to bring this sort of American sound and tone. And we'd hoped for something with this sort of big high on fire sort of feel. Now, of course, in retrospect, High and Fire is down-tuned. They play differently. Their drummer hits differently. He's a fucking. Uh, there's a whole lot of reasons why the album didn't quite have that sonic impact. Um, but we wanted this sort of claustrophobic feel that you get from Souls at Zero, um, some of those early Neurosis records, and it, we sort of achieved it. Even though once we'd all kind of bedded in together, it became clear that, for example, the studio we'd picked, which, you know, didn't have enough inputs for all of the drum kit, was more suited to doing Irish traditional music. Very nice, very cool studio, um, right in the heart of Dublin, but that it wasn't really exactly what you want for a big, huge live room for lots of inputs. The monitoring room was a little bit strange. Um it was more accustomed, as I said, to taking our traditional musicians. And here we were trying to create this big dynamic wall, this wave of sort of gloomy sound. And um, there are early recordings of the songs, which um, are sort of pre which sound actually, if I can find them, maybe I'll post one, but much more open and wide sounding. And. Um, That was like we were for the first week, 10 days We were really, really hitting, I think, really good stride. We could tell the songs were very good. It sounded really, really great. And then we started to hit some problems. We had some desk failings. We had some amp failings. Um, There was a few family, personal stuff, um, unforeseen stuff, which came, um, which just happened during the recording, which kind of made things seem even a little bit more complex, confusing, a little bit darker. Um, and somewhere about two weeks in we began to sort of kind of lose time lose our way a little bit with recording The Gathering Wilderness and um, I think ultimately it kind of shows many people love the record they find it their favourite Primordio record and it's a record that they um, they were introduced to primordial with <clears throat> but it never quite was what we wanted it to be and um, The mixing, we ended up running out of time. Many times in the studio, you think you have all the time in the world and you spend a whole day fiddling with an acoustic intro that you end up not using. Being the singer stepping outside the bubble, I've always been very conscious of trying to sort of crack the whip and move things along because you always run out of time. And sure enough, with only three or four days left um, and Billy about to leave for his European tour, the pressure was on. Things were uh, not mixed down. Correctly, they were not ready to be mixed. There were uh, guitars that were missing. Um, And the last three or four days were a 16, 18, 20 hour days in a row in the middle of what was, I remember being a a kind of like a huge kind of thunder rainstorm in Dublin where we got home every night, we're saturated, we're back in. There was a conflict with the guys who owned the studio because um, they didn't want us there at 11, 12, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And um, for example Cities Carved in Stone I ended up mixing more or less on my own with Billy and it's full of guitars and my impression was of being there almost on my own with Billy Um, and for an album with so much guitar so many layers so many tones so much dynamics this was not the way to do it but for whatever reason that's kind of how it was and um, it ended up sort of sitting in a place of being 80%, 90% finished. Um, And it wasn't exactly as we intended. There were noises left in. There were things left in that should have been changed. There was acoustics that were missing. And at a a certain moment, Billy headed off back home and we were left sitting with an album that needed some fixing. And we had to trust a a teenage tape operator guy uh, who had no real experience of recording to come in and fix things to try and fix some of these, um, you know, tie up these loose ends. And everyone was tired. I remember everyone was angry and everyone was annoyed and irritated at some of the things that I'd left in or left out. But, if, but I was the only person there, that kind of thing. And so there was an awful lot of conflict surrounding the end of the record. And um, it didn't turn out exactly as we wanted to. And then the guys who ran the studio... Metal Blade were like, you need to send the master now. And it was before we kind of really understood what, um, how powerful mastering can be. Mastering is when you finish making your record, you send it off. And it's the final version of the sound it you don't change the individual tracks, but you can move up the bottom end, you can make it loud. And don't forget, this is the middle of the 2000s when everyone was on this volume war. So. Every metal record was mastered as loud as possible. You know you know the famous stories about Death Magnetic and all this kind of stuff. There were volume wars going on and Gathering Wilderness lost the volume war. On a compilation CD, it instantly dips down and sounds so much less powerful than it should. Now, of course, if you crank the volume on um, The Golden Spiral when it comes in, it does sound powerful. And in truth, it's, it sat at the time quite easily among records by drug or enslaved or... Um, maybe Wolves in the Throne Room or other pagan sort of black metal bands who had a kind of strange dynamic, but it wasn't what we wanted. What we wanted was this huge wall of sound, this powerful tribal sounding drums, and it never quite got to that place. Now, of course, in hindsight, listening back, I think it has a huge charm. It has a very natural, um, dark claustrophobic sound that definitely does sound like a bunch of a band playing together but it wasn't quite what we wanted and the guys who ran the studio said oh we can master it and they didn't master it very well um, is the truth Uh, the whole album actually is in need of a remaster it's in need of a lift a facelift with some mids put in now this may if this is your favourite promoted album this may sound really unusual to you that we feel that's this way about it but it it felt like a kind of slightly incomplete record like that it was missing um, some layer of tone a richness of tone and dynamics Um, the bass end is maybe not as bassy as it would be to me the drums change from song to song overall though I mean I think it still sounds as stands alone as a sort of very dark um, introspective claustrophobic earthy, sort of very Irish sounding record. It's got a sort of tragic melancholy to it that sounds like a band who are growing up. Certainly a song like Coffin Ships couldn't have appeared on Storm Before Calm, even though you have Cast to the Pyre, which maybe has elements of that. But it, it, we, we really kind of find our style a bit more. And I think it's got more in common maybe with elements of Journey's End, but it has a crude sort of dark um, element to it as well. Um As for the lyrics, well, I suppose I was trying to find a sort of get to the scrape through to the dark fundamental core of, um, I suppose, some sort of paganism. Um, Looking at the songs here, you know, you've got the Golden Spiral is one of the simplest songs I ever wrote. You know, one day I stood with my back to the wind. And that's exactly what it was about, just about being outside in nature in Ireland. Um, I suppose you can take a song like Wheel Lightning to split the sun and say it's a a continuation of the Golden Spiral theme, thematic, which is to set the album out was you were supposed to get a sense of the windswept dynamic element. I keep using the word dynamic, but sort of windswept, sodden earthed um, sadness of um, an element of Irish history, but also of Ireland itself, um, this sort of island um, tragedy that sort of seeps through all our history. And that was what I was trying to get at. The Gathering Wilderness as a, you know, the wilderness is gathering all its children in is from Leonard Cohen um, from Songs of Love and Hate. Um, which was a really big influence and inspiration on the record. Um, And this is just an attempt to sort of pinpoint the downfall of culture, of society, to say we're heading to somewhere very dark and that the thin veneer of society can be scraped back um, at any one point and turned into something um, very dark indeed, you know, kind of what human nature actually really is. And we're seeing elements of that today. It's kind of a predicting the downfall of society sort of song. The Song of the Tomb um, I suppose was inspired by a trip to a passage grave in Ireland to Newgrange and again it's sort of meant to be a sister song to the Golden Spiral from the north to the south to the east to the west. Um, I'm just trying to place yourself in the feeling of of some old Celtic chieftain maybe something like this not in a hokey kind of um, way but to have some sort of Uh, again, reach back into our, um, into the ancient past of Ireland. um, But done again in this this sort of dark, cruel way. And then, you know, the sort of the shortness and the brutality, the brutality of life. Um, But also to the the tomb as the metaphor, I suppose, for. um, Imrama means um, a sort of like a mystical journey, if I'm not incorrect you know, a sort of spiritual journey. And so your Imrama, which I suppose would have been connected to taking mushrooms and that kind of thing. So there's this sort of element of opening a gate of understanding, a sort of third eye spirituality to that. Um, End of all times, Martyr's Fire. I remember it's sort of pretty personal song. Um, dressed up in sort of, you know, this sort of Gothic Poe-esque language. And I think it's really just a song about anger and betrayal and all that kind of thing. I'm pretty sure there's a woman involved or something. Um, but, you know, you dress up, if you take a simple emotion and you dress it up in um, a sort of drape it in Gothic language. And I, I always liked the idea of doing that kind of thing. Graven Idol is something similar. Um, Babel's Tower is literally just an apology from me to someone else and it's dressed in this language. And I really like that, that something can be a really simple, straight um, one sentence message that you've dressed, draped in this complicated language. Um, The coffin ships is the coffin ships. I mean, it's it's become our signature sort of anthem, if that's the right word. But um, I wanted to write a song about the Irish famine that was sort of tragic and beautiful and paid respect to it, but wasn't a history lesson, but was also something that you could play and that would resonate with people from other countries, other cultures, other um, nations, small nations who had had gone through tragedy or, well, any nations really, but, um, and not to make it an Irish history lesson. And so for anybody who'd felt like they had a great historical tragedy in their midst, this song was meant to be like a emotional high watermark for it. And it still is. And I still think it's one of the proudest moments of the band. And um, there isn't this is the moment where you play this song, you look in the crowd and you'll see people just literally lose their lose their shit. As they say, that's not very poetic, but you know what I mean? Tragedy's Birth is a, an interesting and strange song. I, I actually really like this song. And um, it was an attempt to kind of move some sort of um, kind of horror, a sort of um, Lovecraftian horror scape a dreamscape into into language to just to make something that really a song that didn't really have a particular meaning, but um, that was sort of draped in this horror like language. And it's really just about the passing of time, the ticking of the clock. But it's it's done in some um, horrorscape, dreamscape kind of way. I don't like really use the word horror because it has sort of too many dumb death metal band associations. But you know with all due respect to them but you know what i mean city's carved in stone is one of my favorite songs and a song we reprised about 7 or 8 years ago to play live which was great and would have been one of the songs that would have been in the in the tour of unusual songs that before the uh, the covid canceled everything uh, and it's the 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 principal idea is really the I- is really that you you know to wake up in another city to another sunrise another city and think to yourself that you could walk out on your own life and just go, enough of this last one. I'm gonna step out now, reinvent myself, and disappear. And it's really just about disappearing. It's just about losing yourself in alcohol, losing yourself in drugs, um, and thinking to yourself, well, the maybe the best place for all of this is a completely new city with new people that kind of thing and it's also just about dreaming of that the reinvention involved in that it's not about suicide as some people have asked me about it Um, it's really about um, being in a different city and the the sort of sometimes tragic beauty of travelling and being alone in the middle of a town square somewhere in a city and realising no one knows where I am and you could just walk out on your own life or I suppose you could just walk out into the sea and disappear. Um, And those are all the songs. There there was an accompanying DVD with it, which I, to be honest, regret and I'm glad it's not really online. It's a bit, some, it's, some of it's okay, but it was made by two art students who asked, could they come in and film us? And then we sort of were rushed to have a bonus DVD or bonus disc which Metal Blade Um, asked for at the time from um, certain bands. And we just kind of went, okay, well, let's put this in there. And it never really, um, it doesn't really make sense in a way, I suppose. It would have been better really to just film a moody black and white rehearsal and put it in there instead. But it is what it is. Um, And it is, um, I guess, 17 years ago we made that decision. So um, we were, you know, late 20s, early thirties at the time and so it was not the best decision to put that DVD in there but it's there Um, and if you have it please don't play it Um, overall I think it's I'm very proud of the record I think it stands aesthetically it it, it stands as one of um, our better albums it's 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 not my favorite um, but it certainly stands as one of our better albums and I understand for many people it's their introduction their gateway album to the newer the second half of our career um, and also it has maybe a sound, a style, a feeling that we never quite um, had on another record in that it, it, you can, to anybody, it sounds kind of flawed, but it's full of character and it's full of personality and it has a very rough, dark hewn kind of tone to it, which I suppose I should be thankful in, re- in, you know, in the fullness of time I can see that. But at the time it was not what we wanted. So I suppose you could say it's um, an album of flawed... Um, it's a flawed album. Maybe it's got a flawed beauty. I don't know. I'm not going to say flawed genius. Of course not. But it certainly got um, what it lacks sonically, at least in the way we wanted it to come out. It makes up for in um, character and personality. And it... Is something I'm particularly proud of. Looking at here, looking at it here now, I could still think it's 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 a it's quite a, a beautiful thing to hold in your hand, actually, um, and the vinyl is the same. So there you go, my Patreon friends. Um, the Gathering Wilderness. Um, it's a an interesting midpoint, I suppose, in our career. Or little just before the second half of our career, or whatever you want to say, the the middle third. I don't know. Um, tell me in the comments below your opinions, your feelings about the record, um, high points, low points. Do you are you surprised by some of my um, my so my observations about the sound? Looking back on it, all that kind of thing. It certainly broke through a couple of barriers for us. Before that, the band was almost impossible to book at festivals, and that. This album kind of broke through. Told and we were getting some offers from um, from some German festivals and some Belgian and some Dutch festivals, and it certainly helped the band take another step up on the ladder. Maybe it pushed us two or three rungs up the ladder. So um, for that, it certainly has its place in our discography. There you go. The Gathering Wilderness.